Welcome to Buffeting, the podcast where my wife Cass Ew. and I share our conversations on investing with you as we try to keep compounding capital so I don't have to go back to being a carpenter. And I don't have to go back working with real estate agents. <laughs> we hope you find it informative and entertaining. But we are not your financial advisors and nothing we say should be taken as investment advice. As always, do your own research, which is more fun. And now without further ado, on to the episode. episode of Buffeting in quite a while. We're back, baby. We're back. We're back, baby. We're back, baby. <laughs> What's that that would have gotten red. It's a good is test. That... So is this season two now? Is that what we've decided? Because we've taken a break for so long. It's too awkward to be like, this is the next episode of season one. <laughs> it's definitely season two. Yeah. Two it's... months later. Yeah. I think, though, the reason that we had such a break from it is because we got like investing um you know when you're overloaded with it yeah exhaustion investing exhaustion what's the best way to, to say that it's like yeah it it stops becoming as interesting to you as it was because you're just constantly inundated with like the same kind of information you know this is going up this is going down what does this mean and like a lot of these things, like we were thinking about, eh? Like a lot of them, we couldn't find an answer to, like Bitcoin, macro, yeah. all these, all these topics. Everyone's just talking about the same thing all the time. Yeah. And you just like your perspective just narrows, just yeah. narrows into all these micro little fields, and you're yeah. like, oh, everyone's onto uranium now. We better start looking into that. You know, yeah, you yeah. have that little voice in your head. And it's only because you're watching your feed. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> you're really like you're is. being told what to think about. It really so is. So we stepped back from that, and I guess we started just wanting because we weren't having traction in any of our investments. Really, they're all just kind of sitting there. Yeah, yeah. I haven't even worked out the NTA recently, I'm, but I know it's down. I think from the start, like so, last year we we're up 120 percent in one year, and then I think since December, I think we're down about 15 percent. Yeah. Which I just couldn't give a shit about. Like, could you? I know. Could you care less if it was no. down 30 or 10 but or now 5? It or... just, it makes you like try and think outside the box about other opportunities and how exactly. to compound your money, yeah. which is exactly what we've been doing now. Yes. Instead of like focusing on, okay, let's look into Alibaba. Everyone's gone on about that like three months ago. Yeah, yeah. We just, we step back at that point and we're like, let's have a breather. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, let's start thinking about how else we can make money because yeah. these opportunities just are not good enough. Like, yeah. And, and the opportunity, not to say that Alibaba like wasn't a great opportunity or might not but be. Everyone's a, on it at the same time. Exactly. Not, not, might not be a great opportunity, but um, there's just so much time gets kind of like sucked up thinking about all these different things. And, Every time we have a great investment, it's the same thing, isn't it? Every time we have we start something that works out ridiculously well, you can't help but focus on it as opposed to like Yeah, you know, it takes up telling the whole yourself, world. Yeah. Yeah. And telling yourself to focus on it. So it kind of consumes consumes your mind. And what has been consuming our mind for the last three months is the waterproofing market. <laughs> of a small of southeast Brisbane <laughs> of, a, of a mid-sized Australian city <laughs> yeah and it's been really fun only because okay 
an opportunity in the real world presented itself. The real world, yes. The real world, like right in front of you that you interact with. Yeah. And you can kind of have a little bit more transparency and control over. Yeah. So like when we meet interesting people Mm -hmm. who display qualities outside of the average person, Mm -hmm. so they have hunger, they have drive, like... Huge, like large levels of openness. So if someone is like already telling you about their mistakes within the first few conversations, then straight away, like I'm interested in that person because that person has shown like humility. Yeah. And that's one of the hardest qualities. And also a level of like self-awareness. Yeah. And self-reflection. So if anyone shows those kind of traits, like me and you, it it kind of triggers in our brains to remember Mm. that person. And like you save their number and because you never know how you can work with these people in the future because exactly. everyone has their unique strengths exactly right. and the little fields of expertise that they're good at. Exactly. So anyway, long story short, we met a person like this. Yep. Yeah. So his, his name's Tim and we, we met him um, at the gym. A year ago. He tried to, he tried, he was working at the <laughs> gym and he tried to sign us up for a gym membership and he did a really great job. Like he basically spoke to you love yeah well i walked in there and pretty much was pretty skeptical yeah like you know you you prepare yourself to deal with like the car salesman or the real estate agent yeah like a gym guy exactly and yeah like he he was like a really really nice guy really smart um really like he listened to a lot of podcasts and a lot of books and books that me and you had and was interested in the same kind of thing and we had a bit of a chat about it and then sort of just kept texting a little bit now and then with this nice fella who we'd met. And then about three years ago, to like provide like a little bit of income for us, I guess, like I started a little business, a little waterproofing business. So water, waterproofing is like a key process in the renovation of any bathroom, you know, in case you're wondering what waterproofing was. And um, it's basically just one of the most high paying jobs in construction so like you know carpentry plumbing electrical like they all have different you know average alley rates and waterproofing is, is quite high because of the perceived risk of doing it mm. so people i guess don't do it but also um, it's like a niche little market as well yeah it's like a niche little market and there's not many competitors in the space really so you can no. have like a little bit of pricing power yeah um a little bit of an opportunity to like do do it differently yeah and scale because you're offering like the best service exactly but we were so, um, we were full-time investing. Like yeah. we didn't want to put any more effort into this business really. So we kind of like let it sit there and hibernate. And yeah. then, you know, you, your brain starts churning like when we're kind of getting sick of reading the same yep. company news, you know, Twitter We haven't feed, done anything in three months. Everything's the same. Our portfolio is just kind of like sitting there. We've got no more money to allocate really. Yeah. We're fully happy, fully invested, which is what we are basically. we got hedges in place that, you know, account for maybe yep. some bad situations in the future. Yep. So we're happy. So, yeah. you know, when we had that chat with Tom, investing with Tom. Yeah. And he asked us the question, do you, are you worried that you've got too much activity because you are focusing on it full time? Yeah. And at that point I was like, no way. Like if we weren't thinking about this full time, yeah. um, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. And now that I kind of, I'm comfortable with everything that we hold. Mm-hmm. Now I'm kind of like, yeah, no, you shouldn't be doing it full time. No. You shouldn't. No. Because like, you're going to, you're... 
at the time when you first look into an investment, you do a lot of like historical stuff, right? Like you, like you'll read for the, you know, years and you'll think about the market and all these kinds of things. And you get a very broad perspective, I think on the investment Mm. and then you make your decision. Yeah. Right. But then what I think can happen and what's happened to us probably in the past and what happened to me probably in the past is that the new bits of information, because they're happening in real time, probably swing you away from this bulk of research and thinking you did at the time and can easily like distort your opinion. So this is where I think, you know, it's better to just not be totally all over every micro aspect of your investment because Mm -hmm. the odds that that one thing that you learn about is the one thing that is actually the reason why you should now sell that investment mm. is very low, I think. I think you have to just let these things work out. Um, and the, probably the best thing to do while you're letting them work out is like distract yourself with something that's more interesting or... Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Because I think that's more of like Nick Sleep, his attitude to investing. It's yeah. like you do a lot of work, right, to get comfortable Yes. With the decision that you make to buy something. Yes. And then you give that position the time it takes to work out. Mm. And if you've done enough work at the beginning, you just, you feel this familiarity. Yeah. Is that the word? I'm not going to try and pronounce that word. Familiarity? (laughs) With the company. Like you feel like you know it. Yeah. And you kind of just have to keep your ear to the ground for like, you know, keep. Sure. Keep updated every quarter, obviously, yeah. with what they announce. If the C, yeah, if, if if the CEO gets arrested, you know, for abusing children, yeah, like you know, you should be aware of that. Like that's probably going to be a negative. Jesus, you got dark there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. If any of that happens with the companies we own, I'm fucking out. <laughs> but anyway, what we were saying basically is that. You know, you can analyze things too greatly of what you hold and you're just confirming your own biases and you're wasting energy when you could be, you know, opening up your horizon and what you're looking at and what you're thinking about and finding different opportunities in different areas. Things that are right, potentially right in front of you. Yeah, because the way I see it now is like how you choose to deploy your capital, you can hedge the way you invest, right? You can have your investment portfolio in your stocks of companies Mm. and then you can have the investments that you hold in like your local businesses or the people you have interactions with. Mm. Like if you start a business or a company. Yeah. And you have both of those kind of working together in a way. Yeah. So it's like a passive portfolio where you trust the managers and the CEOs and the companies and what they do. Mm -hmm. And then you have a, a little section of, where you have more control over mm. exactly how your capital is deployed within the business of down what to the, you're running. Down to the invoices that you delay and you pay. Yeah. Down to the people you hire and don't hire. Down to if, you know, the if, jobs you take and don't take. Yeah. If you find a business where you can have a unique edge in, where there's a good enough margin, where you can compound at a higher level, then you can in the stocks that you hold. And yeah, I think... If you're going to start your own business as well as running an investment portfolio, then you have to be pretty quickly working through other people. And that's where it gets back to, you know, good old Tim, who we met at the gym. Yeah. Is, you know, nice guy. Turns out he'd done some waterproofing. Turns out he would love to start a business. And then me and you with him started chatting about how we could, you know, build and grow this little construction services business, basically. Yeah. And um, so far it's going really bloody well. 
So, you know, they're the, our, we're getting more and more clients, you know, every week. Um, he's now fully trained up as a waterproofer and he's involved in all the business decisions. Yeah. Um, and we're getting all happy clients and we're implementing systems every week to try and make things more automated. Um, yeah. And, and we've got, we're both mutually benefiting from this little enterprise, right? Because mm. the way we've, this, you can give people who have hunger and don't quite yet have the capital mm. to back themselves, but they have the hunger. Yeah. So if you can fill in that piece with the capital and a little bit of a helping hand, you yeah. know, because he is quite young, but we can kind of build this business with a person who is incentivized to make it work just as much as we are. Yeah. And we can get to the point where we're literally just like silent owners mm. taking a smaller portion, yeah. but Tim's got this business now functioning and he's getting paid off the the profits of the business itself. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's our, our plan is to try and maintain because it's, 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 this is why it's so interesting that we've started this business because obviously investing is fascinating and we could just, I could just do investing happily for the rest of my life, but this has been so challenging and so fascinating because it's total freedom. So we can design the business however we want. Like both me and you have worked for like multiple good bosses and multiple terrible bosses. Yeah. And so now we're 31 and I guess we just thought to ourselves like this is our chance to create something from from scratch um, in the world basically. Yeah. That kind of self-perpetuates and self but I think it's so, so it's such an important perspective for an investor to feel if mm. if you can like if you find an opportunity of someone who's passionate about something and you can fund them with your capital instead of yeah. buying a stock in a business like fund a person mm. and help them achieve their goals and you financially benefit as well yes um, yeah it's it's just a great hands-on perspective to take because when you're running when you're helping grow a business yeah, with your own decisions and your own energy and your own like, sweat equity. Yeah. Like you're in the, you're in the engine room. You're in the trenches. Yeah. It, yeah. You feel every, every dollar that's spent on something. Yeah. And what that's going to produce and if it's worth it or not. Yeah. And it's very similar. Like I'm treating it very similar to investing, you know, like we've had this decision with how to advertise you know, like, do you go billboards? Do you go car signage? Do you go approaching approaching builders? Do you call clients? Do you pay for leads through high pages? Do you use service seeking? Do you use Google ads? Like, this was like rational decision making from an investing framework that we use to make yeah. that choice. Which is, those parts are great because you can like follow the trail of money yeah. <laughs> in terms of like what they're spending on in those little categories yes. and where the leads are coming from and like what what capture of the market you're getting from that. Exactly. But then to look at a business and think, okay, have these guys actually thought about their customer mm -hmm. and have they actually gone back to basic principles? Exactly. And are they playing the game from the perspective of their customer? Yes. Because when you really understand the industry, mm -hmm. you can see kind of the incentive of a business and yeah. what they're trying to do. And if they are thinking the right way, exactly, which kind of brings us back to our cannabis investment, Air Wellness, which I think it was a question someone asked on Twitter, wasn't it? Like, how can you have conviction 
in your cannabis investments. Like if you can't ascertain what's going to be the yeah the leading brand or exactly product. Yeah. How about some intelligent ways to play cannabis without being able to discern enduring competitive advantages in the space? Yeah. Which I... Good question. It's a great question. And it's... The answer I have might be different from yours. Yeah. I haven't thought about it really. But I think for me, with choosing Air Wellness over the hundreds of other cannabis companies Mm -hmm. to choose from, is just down to the management style of like Mm. John Sandelman. Yeah. And the the decisions that he makes yeah. and how happy his team is. Exactly. And, and, how- and the focus the focus on systems and how yeah. how the, the, the our two worlds, the world in the real world where we're trying to start a little waterproofing business to hopefully have, you know, five people working for us in a year's time and how looking at our cannabis investment where you've got a person who is talking and thinking the same way that we're now thinking as we're trying to grow our business capital expenditure you know what kind of return do you get on this kind of branding or that kind of advertising campaign and using the same kind of words those two our two worlds of starting our small business and you know thinking about our 20 percent position in air wellness Mm -hmm. those two things are actually talking to each other you were getting yeah, yeah it all fits because it all funds like funnels down to the same principles exactly which is air wellness they're all about the quality of the flower the quality yep. of the product yep. and the consistency of the product and they and they emphasize that over other cannabis companies as well as a number of other small things as well that they emphasize yeah yeah so they just they move the way that we would move if we were running that company exactly and that's where i find confidence in that company specifically. In that company specifically. As it's far not the as, same yeah. for all of our investments. That's not... I don't feel a level of connection with no. certain other ones. But. Like that, why that person thinks who's running that business. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as like enduring competitive advantages, it's kind of a hard phrase to... You have to understand what the person means by that. Um, but I look at control of supply, right? Mm as the main thing that gives me confidence in that investment. So whatever happens with the Safe Banking Act or with legalization, you have to have the ability, just like with timber and a few other commodities we've seen recently, you have to have the ability to produce good, consistent supply at a high quality. And that's actually <clears throat> you know, quite difficult in cannabis and Ed does a great job of it. And if you research a company, you, you can have a look at like that, the Florida acquisition and how much they improved the, the quality, um, the, of, the the quality of the output yeah. of the plant, you know, how they took it from the stores that they acquired and the business they acquired only had flour and only had stock for two days a week. And within a few months, they were fully stocked. Three months. You know, and when, when you understand how difficult it is. And it was the turnover of the crop or, or um, the failure rate of the, the crop? The failure rate. Like you know? it used to fail yeah. at, what was it? Oh, it was massively, <laughs> like 50% or something. It was, it was ridiculous. Yeah, and, now they, it's, and now it's way down. Yeah. So that operational ability and the ability to run something that's complex. And it's basically a huge vertically integrated business. Mm. You know, very few businesses are actually fully vertically integrated if you think about it like you know they from the time when you put the seed in the ground yeah in the pot i should say <laughs> by the time you put the seed in the pot the pot seed in the pot to the time that someone takes it from the store 
Air Wellness owns that whole process. So there's so much room to be more efficient in transport, more efficient in growing, better in systems, tracking. Um, yeah, it's the vertical integration that I like. And that's yeah. why I think, you know, there's at the moment there's about five or six companies, big ones, who have like a professionalism and a level of expertise and they're attracting all the talent and they have all the capital. Mm. So I would suggest that, you know, although it is kind of a commodity business, any combination of those five businesses, you're probably going to be okay. Like we've chosen one company, but look. Yeah, we'll be okay in terms of like they'll either they'll either do well or they'll get bought out. Get acquired, yeah. Which exactly. is shit because we don't want our positions getting acquired. Like no. you want to back the horse that you can own as a stock in 30 years' time. <laughs> I know. That's what you want. I like know, you don't want hard. one big payday that you pay tax on. But exactly. Anyway. It's tricky. What, what yeah. were we saying? Well, we, we we're just talking about our, our little business that we've started. Yes. Yeah. And, and how that relates to cannabis. And then we answered a, a question spontaneously. Um, and the other great question from Tom was who's the greatest investor now living, which kind of molds in between, obviously, my answer is Uncle Ray, Ray Dalio. Yes, interesting. <laughs> I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but only, like, it doesn't come down to rate of return or what's in his portfolio it comes down to the impact that he's having on like the company that he runs the fund that he runs and the greater world around it like you can see the way that he's tried to understand psychology and humanity and he's trying to help the world in like the most logical practical way yeah yeah with like his principles definitely systems oh dalio's yeah dalio's definitely up there for me too more more because like greatest investor i mean depends how you define it if you define it as rate of return then you just go on the list and you pick the best rate of return but if you define it as like a thinker uh, you know yeah achiever you know achiever and thinker so in growing something and because we have plans to or we're already using the idea meritocracy um, principles in our business, a little mm. business already. Mm-hmm. We're already having a lot of transparency around our processes and there's a lot of questioning going back and forth about how we should do things and yeah, it's that's... very open. So, so to have an investor who's also a business person as well, I think Dalio is, is definitely one of the greatest investors um, and also always has terrible audio and always has is always going, um... Um, um, yeah. You know, because well, it's not packaged the nicest. Exactly. It's like he's not worried about that. He's worried about making, um, or what does Neil deGrasse Tyson say? It's like you, oh, you want to be effective, basically. Exactly. You don't want to sound good. You don't want to just present yourself really yeah. well. You don't want to be a trend. Like, you just want to be effective. There's no point being right unless you're effective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't want to just run like a sexy company. You know, with like a WeWork style place that fills it fizzles out because it's not actually sustainable. I know. So yeah, Ray Dalio is the best investor alive at the moment for me personally. Yeah. Based on um, how he's helping people run better lives, better jobs, mm. better companies, um, be better people. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to bring into like this little business that we yeah. started. So basically, we've brought Tim on and said it's. We're running this company like an idea meritocracy. Yep. Okay. 100%. So basically, it doesn't matter who has the idea. It doesn't matter, you know, 
if there's some hierarchy that we all think is in place. An idea is an idea and it gets judged on the merit of the idea. Exactly right. Not the person. Yeah. And with that comes like total honesty with each other, Mm -hmm. total transparency. Yep. And we're even going to bring that down to the point of sharing financials Every month. We plan to, yeah. And even as... With, with, with the whole business? With the whole business. With all, with all even employees. as the business grows, even yeah. if we hire 10 more people, yeah, um, the numbers are all transparent yeah. because we are... Okay, we are the founders yep. of the business. We've invested the initial capital. Taken We've the risk. put in some like sweat equity yep. to build it, but... Even though we'll start out taking, you know, whatever, 40% while we're still working within the business. Yeah. We acknowledge that as we step back, we're Mm. going to be doing less work. And as we do less work, other people are doing more work. Yeah. And so if we all just shared the profit of that company. Yeah. um, Evenly and fairly, then everyone is incentivized to the same levels. Yeah. And so we'll step back and we'll just take our ownership share. Yeah. Whatever that may be that we think is fair and everyone else thinks is fair as well. Yeah, exactly. We'll step back to just being silent owners and then share the profits of the company between everybody. And our theory is that by doing it this way, as opposed to the way a usual employer-employee arrangement works, is that people are going to go that extra mile when no one's looking. Like, we all know what that's like. We all know how you work when no one's watching you, you know, and how you work when people are trying to get that extra hour out of you or that extra bit of speed out of you. Like we all know what we're capable of. We all know what we can do without getting miserable, without getting exhausted. Okay. You should be in that, in that range where it's comfortable and the job should provide all of the tools you need to make that happen. So one of the things we're really trying to do is we're trying to make it as organized as possible for the tradesperson mm. when they get to the job to do the waterproofing process which again just to clarify when you renovate a bathroom <laughs> you demolish the bathroom then you resheet the bathroom then you waterproof the bathroom then you tile the bathroom and the bathroom is finished that's basically the whole process of you know the bathroom renovation yeah you know and that one process that waterproofing is the most crucial part of all of that because mm-hmm. if you do it wrong then you have to demolish the whole bathroom and pull it back up again so that's the theory of it um what was the name before that so basically you know <laughs> we are we're trying to think from the perspective of the worker uh, yes, within the, worker. the business okay so if you're a waterproofer look you, we all know how psychology works you get a set wage each week yep you're no longer really getting a dopamine hit every paycheck incentivized after a amount of time yeah it's the same thing. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm getting up this week. I'm doing this job. Yep. I know what I'm getting paid. It's soul destroying. It is. And I think everybody has that capacity within them to want to be that entrepreneur. Yes. And want to run their own business. And want to be paid based on results. Based on what results. What you do. Yes. Yeah. And the effort you're putting into it. Yes. We all kind of want that, but it's actually quite difficult to do in the real world, mm. which is like, you know, I love Naval's book. But he's basically telling people, be the entrepreneur, be the business person, Mm. take control of your money, leverage, take on risk, like just create the world you want and create Mm -hmm. the life that you want. It's not that easy for people to do. And I feel like you could have a company's structure 
that kind of changes the employees to not be the entrepreneur. They don't have to take that level of risk and stress. And, and that level of responsibility because it takes a long time to actually, like I've I've started probably like six or seven businesses um, and they haven't like been successes then failures, but they've just kind of like petered out as mm. I've like lost interest because it's been too difficult. It's hard. It's, it's very challenging. hard. You hit hurdles yep. and it's like you're not getting paid. And it's like, what am I doing this for? And you run out of steam. And so yeah. you've got all these people whose passions just die. Yeah. They give up. They just take the normal job with the weekly paychecks. They yep. have their security. And yeah. I feel like there is a middle ground between that. Yeah. You can run a company where you don't have employees. You have little... Partners. Mini entrepreneurs yeah. with security. And you're just getting paid for the level of risk you're taking to support them. Exactly. Right? But yeah... If you had like 60% of the workforce getting a share of 60% of the profits mm. equally amongst themselves. I, I just don't, that's, that's yeah. got to give people that sense of controlling the progress of their life. That, that, that they're really a part of making what you're a part of they're successful. They're part of the business. They're actually part of it. And yeah. I think... The reason why, again, the specifics of this, we are still working out. Like yeah. We're making progress, whether it's going to be um, people are paid mostly on a, ba- a low base salary with a large percentage of bonus based on what you're doing. We're also lucky that our business that we're, we're now growing is like multiple small jobs. Lots of the cash flow is really good because it's lots of small jobs. Mm. So it's very easy to work out who's responsible for what job. Yeah. And that's the way it might, that's why it may work. And there might be some businesses out there that because the, you need a hundred different departments and it's not really clear who's responsible for what level of profitability, that might be too hard in that business, but it might work for our business. But our plan is basically to design like a shareholder owned business from, from day one, yeah. from the ground up. Um, and that's why it's interesting. Yeah. You know? I mean, investing is great, but we're, we're trying. We're going to try something here in a little boring yeah. construction services mm. business. Yeah, a little trial run. It, I mean, it could work terribly, but it's worth a shot. Worth a shot. It's very interesting, and you know, this only has come about because, like, we when you meet incredible people, mm. you sh- remember them, and like you can yeah. think of opportunities to. Help them and yeah. help yourself at the same time. Exactly, but everyone needs everyone needs support in their entrepreneurial journey. I think, mm. and that's why it's really important to have like whether you want to call it a mentor or whether you want to call it like a support person or you know someone to give you that advice, you know, as to make the right decision. Because you know, in investing, mm. it's very similar to investing in the way there's a lot of decisions in investing that are very ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what the probability is and what the right choice is, even after you've considered all the data. Yeah. So that's that's an area where people who are used to doing stock market investing are going to be great business people. The hard part is the human interaction and getting face-to-face with people and actually dealing with their problems. And that's one of the things that both of us have struggled with the most is trying to like d- deal with builders and deal with you know hard customers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a lot, it's and a lot. That's, that part of it's more challenging. Yeah. It is, it is, because you get to the end of the week and you're like, "Why am I doing this again?" It's like it's training. Yeah, 
But then you zoom out and you see the big picture. Yeah. And you see that at the end of the day, every company that we all work for was created by someone. Yeah. And decisions were made at the start of that that people just followed. You know, like, and it's really easy. It once has a, a compounding system, effect. Once a system is set up, it's really hard to change yeah. that. Like, I was going to mention that thing about how we noticed how good the, um, we're getting our second vaccination today at the convention center in South Bank and how incredibly well organized that yeah. all is. Yeah. You know, they've designed that whole system in the last six months from the ground up under pressure. And it's incredible. Like, you, you get in there, you sign up, you're in a line, the line's always moving. There's, you know, you have to give details, give your information, you walk in there, you get your jab, and you wait. It's not overly busy. It's great. And they've got medical staff all around. They've got yeah. a countdown clock to say you can leave now. Yeah. Like, they're yeah, selling, it's, it's they're military selling. precision. Yeah. Do you think that's just down to the funding they've received to do that? Well, my theory is that is it, it's. It's a system that was designed from scratch recently. Yes. And all the sy- all the systems that we hate, like, you know, the health system, a lot of government systems, tax system, like, they were all designed like 30 years ago and we're still just trying to make them work in our current yeah. world. But when something gets designed from scratch um, and you can sort of hopefully, part of our goal, I suppose, is mm. to, in the company, have a lot of areas where the company can improve itself and definitely that's where Ray Dalio's input has been you know pretty influential I think in how we're doing this yeah. is we're trying to have open discussion and I really think that if you make it easy for people to complain about things that aren't right and to assess those complaints complaints for validity mm. then you're going to get a lot of improvement quickly um as long as the personalities allow for it, and that's a really hard part. That's a hard part, and that's where human psychology again comes into it for me, because I I do think you do hit a limit of the amount of people you can have in one company mm. where this structure works. Yeah, because it does. I think we have built this on the the psychology level of it requires you to trust the people that you're in the group Mm -hmm, with. mm -hmm. You have to know everyone that you're in the group with as well. Yeah. In order to be open and honest with each other. Yeah. Definitely. So it's kind of, but you know, companies with a hundred people. Yeah. That could definitely, the structure could work with. For sure. For sure. Yeah. But it's that, that trust there. Yeah. And hopefully the whole thing can run like a Hudza tribe. Yeah, exactly. It's the idea. Like, we watch this documentary on Amazon um, about the Hadza, which is, like, one of the most, well, one of the last remaining... Hunter-gatherer tribes. Hunter-gatherer tribes that, because of their genetics, they can tell that they basically haven't changed in lifestyle for, like, hundreds of thousands of years. And they live in this area that's pretty remote. And they have their own language, which nobody else speaks. Like, they're totally insular. And they still live the same way they always have lived. It's incredible. And when you watch them, they are, like, so happy. And they're so um, driven. They're so cooperative with each other. Yes, cooperative. Like, you you couldn't... If you micromanage every aspect of their life, you could not make them as, you know, efficiently cooperative as they are. Like, they're extremely efficient. Like, you don't see it because there's, like, a... I think it's like a Western thing. You look at it like, oh, African tribe. It's like, no, like 
Look at how yeah. much with how much drive they're actually pursuing their goals and how much enthusiasm they have. And they're all working so quickly yeah. for a, a purpose and it's a combined purpose. Yeah. It's like everything there's it's no shared. lazy people. Yeah. There's no fat people sitting there doing nothing. Yeah. Like everyone has their job and they're all doing it quickly. Yeah. But they're all really happy doing it as well. Yeah. And they all share in the results at the end of the day. And it's just like this is what we need as humans. Share this family. is what we all want. Yeah. Because this is what we evolved to be happy with is shared purpose, shared results. Fairness. Sim- simple as that. Like if yeah. you have a, if you have a good week, we all have a good week. Like, you know, if they catch a lot of meat in that week, if they do a lot of um balboa, whatever that cool plant that they have, it's pretty much sugar. Yeah. <laughs> that cool plant they crush up and eat. Yeah. You know? If they do a lot of it and they catch a lot of meat, everyone's happy, everyone shares Shared purpose, shared motivation. Yeah. Um, everyone's happy to go to work in the morning. But the reason why I've always been unhappy to go to work is that terrible thing of like getting paid the same no matter what. And there's you people know, above you doing less and getting more. Yep. And you're you're treated like you're lesser. Yeah. There's hierarchies. Um, yeah, it's not a way to make a happy group of people. It's not the way to be happy individually. Yeah. It's like when you're like in a, in a in a um a workplace and the person above you won't give you like the information that you need to be able to do their job mm-hmm. because they're worried you'll take their job. Yeah. Wouldn't be a problem if everyone was getting shared, you know, getting incentivized based on the common goal. Yeah. You know, so that's that's the what's keeping us motivated with the business because the business is like, you know, it's a little business. I'm talking to builders, you know. Yeah. People are difficult. You know, every human, like, I'm now talking to, like, hundreds of humans a month, like, separate humans. Yeah. It's weird because... average humans, everyday humans. They all communicate differently. Yeah. And we're able to kind of offer them something different from the usual, I think, which is, like, we're happy, we're motivated, we're building something, we care about customer satisfaction, and but also we're trying to make... We're trying to create a happier job for people who come and work with us because yeah. we've seen in like, especially the tradie space, it's such a miserable mm. lifestyle sometimes because you are treated yeah. like a herd animal by the bosses above you. Like apprentices go through hazing for four years. Yeah. Basically. Usually. Like yeah. it's pretty upsetting if you think about it on a human right sort of level. The quality yeah. of, of care that industry provides to people. And there are guys out there who don't want to act like douchebags. No. They don't want to be dickheads to people. No. But they kind of have to put on that persona yeah. in order to be accepted by the tribe of that group. And I think we're just going to offer like a little bit of a different tradey career for guys who are nice guys. Who yeah. You know, want to be nice to customers and leave them happy, exactly. and get paid more for being nicer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and you know what? That means the one thing that we we're not aiming for, and we can't aim for, is to be the cheapest provider of services. Yeah. Because we've all employed the person that's the cheapest to do something, never goes well. Okay. People who are the cheapest are the cheapest for a reason. And when you're talking about doing something that's really important. You want to pay someone, not crazy, you don't rip somebody off, but you want to be paid reasonably well so you can get the person that takes the time to do mm. a good job yeah. and to actually care about you and 
you know, saves you problems led down the track. You know, saving $20, $30 on something you know, is nothing if you cause problems down later the track. So um, that's that's our, our goal, basically, is to create a business with an idea meritocracy where people are happy, where people aren't charged too much, you know, and where the job gets done efficiently. And that's where... I am excited to see where this goes to potentially eventually move into other areas uh, yeah. of, the, of the tradie space because, you know, they're all one-man bands, these mm. tradie guys, mm-hmm. and none of them like doing paperwork and none of them like having to, you know, go home and send invoices and all that kind of thing. And you know what? They're probably not very fast at it, you know, and it's different skill sets and everything. So there's definitely room for it, but, you know, we've just got to start working through our systems with this tiny one aspect of the trading space first and then see where it goes. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to be very dependent on finding people who actually are attracted Mm. to this idea. Exactly. And who are honest enough that we can trust as much as we trust Tim, as much as Tim trusts us. Yep. As you broaden that out, that trust needs to apply equally amongst everybody. So, yeah, it'd be a challenging thing to build. I think it's all dependent on the right people. Definitely, definitely. But it's exciting to think about. Yeah, very exciting. And that's taken the last three months. Three months we've been doing that, hence why we haven't done an episode. But as far as investing goes, like, do we have any interesting observations worth saying about investing generally? Like, any, have, you, have you seen anything that you've, you've, you've been interested in or that you thought was worth paying attention to? I don't think so. No. I'm just shocked that, like, I literally haven't gone on my Twitter feed in two months or three months nearly. And I went on yesterday and it's all the same stuff. So I'm really just like, I'd recommend everyone just step back for a week. Yeah. Don't look at your phone for one week. Just take a bit of a break. Yeah. And then come back to it fresh. Because um, yeah. Look, look around you. Look around you. Yeah. Be aware of what's right in front of you the potential opportunities because what this was is i started a small construction services business website didn't do anything with it met a guy that i thought would be good to work with at some point on a business and then didn't do anything anything for three months because i was too busy on twitter learning about china and learning about this and whatever yeah and could have started it three months ago and now i have started it and we've done it together and it's like going really great Really great. So yeah, and you get you get a different viewpoint of investing altogether. Mm. Now, when I look at companies, uh, I'm just gonna know what to look for so much quicker. For sure, yeah. Other than that, I think last time, oh, a few episodes ago, we talked about if you're a guy and you're trying to get your partner interested in investing. Mm. Now, I'd probably just say. Like, just show your partner a practical result that can happen mm-hmm. from a good investment, if you can. Yeah. I don't know. You just need to make it more obvious in the real world mm-hmm. what investing well can mean for your life. Yeah. So, whatever that means for your partner. And the one thing that you should never think, I think, from experience with you, love, yeah. is... Never think, oh, they're not an entrepreneurial kind of person mm-hmm. or they are an entrepreneurial kind of person. You don't know what someone's capable of until you've freed them from what they think they have to do. Yeah. Like, 
you thought you had to work, you know. Yeah. And probably people listening to this going, like, fuck you. Like, you, you, you've got, you know, enough money we don't have to work. Well, I wish we'd done this when we had 30 grand in the bank. Me too. The, I'm telling you, every, if you've got 30 to 60 grand in the bank, you know, six months to a year's um, earnings, yeah. and you're not happy with what you're doing right now, stop, quit your job, and go and start something. Just fucking hustle. Just for do yourself, it. For yourself. If because- you've got something that you think could work, think about it practically, make a plan. Yep. But back yourself and back take yourself. a little bit of risk. Like, not going too deep into it, like my upbringing, my history, I'm from like very economically poor decision making parents. So there was a whole lot of scarcity in my upbringing and I have the scarcity mentality. Mm. And so that was to the point of us like, even when we got our loan for our house Mm -hmm. and they tried to give us a credit card with the loan, I was adamant, no, I'm not even taking a credit card on. Like I had no appetite for risk whatsoever. Like it was was (laughs) she was offering you heroin or something. I was like, no, I can't, you know, don't give me that. It just brings bad news. But now risk can be your friend. Yep. Just be totally open about all the consequences. Yeah. And it's all about what's the worst that can happen here. Yeah, what's the worst? What's the worst that can happen here? You know, like that's what you've got to keep bringing your mind back to. Um, at the end of the day, we live in a country where if you blow all of your money, the government will send you a couple hundred bucks a week and will find a place for you to live and give you free healthcare. Like if you're not comfortable taking risk in this environment, then what are you doing? And obviously people have kids and that's... That's yeah, different, you know, and look, that, that that's, a, that's a totally different discussion is, you know, you're providing for other people um, and I get that 100%. Still be responsible about it, for sure. Still be responsible about it, you know, but at the same time, everyone can be hustling on the side and starting to move their mindset away from I'm stuck, I hate my job, it sucks, you know, I wish I could earn more money to like, I'm just doing that to make ends meet and my real thing is this yeah. like my real thing is this big thing I'm working on I'm learning about I'm developing I'm making connections and just start being more aggressive and risk in terms of like even if you don't have the capital mm-hmm. and you don't want to take on the debt that's fine if you've got something you care about that you think is a good business opportunity put it on paper make yep. a plan and go out and look for a venture capitalist to fund you Yeah, or like you know, take some action. Take some action, yeah. Because we're all really in control of our lives, ultimately. Yeah. We are in control. Like, Definitely. You can create what you want to create for yourself. And there's so much low-hanging fruit. Um, I mean, you would think that every second person who leaves school becomes a tradesperson, you know, mm. and goes and becomes a tradie. And yet, when you talk to people, oh, it's so hard to find a good tradie. I can't find a good tradie. can't get a tradie. You know, they never call me back. Like, there's all this low-hanging fruit. So even if you're in a trade or any kind of job that you're in, you know. You think can, Yeah, just think how can it be done differently. How can it be done better. And yeah. go back to, yeah, if you do have a way to do it better. Yeah. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Back yourself or find someone to back you. And start networking and collaborating with people because that's how you get changes made in the real world. Yeah. But even if, I think even if we fail in this, and even if it's a big disaster, I've already learned so much. Um, I've already massively improved my stress tolerance. Yeah. Like bo- both of us have 
massively increased the, uh, you know, our abilities to deal with things going against us because we're, we're trying things in the real world. And if you try 10 things in the real world, two of them are going to suck. That's just how it works. Like yeah. no matter how much planning you do, no matter how much you try and think about your problem, if you're going to move in the real world, there's going to be issues and you just come to accept that after a while and start learning to deal with them. But that's just a personal benefit from starting it. Not to mention the fact that we're going to get to try our own version of a system. Um, do you think, it's not socialist at all. Well, yeah, it's I mean, the that's the problem. People were here. This is the whole thing. Like when we presented Tim with this opportunity, it was a very rough idea. We had yeah, no yeah. idea. We're, we're learning as we go along. But it was profit share, right? We, we, profit we, we, share. We, we, we had a rough idea of how we could make it work for both of us. And yeah. we put that in a bit of a presentation and sent it to Tim. He showed it to his friends and family and everyone thought it was like a pyramid scam. scheme or a scam. He's going to get taken for all his money. Yeah. Like, what, by us paying Tim? Paying I, I, him and asking him for no people, money? People are so skeptical, skeptical and scared mm. because people do take advantage of yeah. this way of being, I guess. If you open yourself up and be vulnerable, you can be taken advantage of. And because there's, unfortunately, there is a level of complexity in, oh, well, you got paid less this month because... You know, these people stuff those jobs up that cost us money, and we all we're all accountable for it because we're all you know out what, of the profit. We're all, share. we're all one tribe here, basically. Yeah. We're all trying to do the same thing, and we're all going to make mistakes. Um, yeah, that's why. What was I saying? It, it just it seemed when you try to do things like this, which are a little bit different. Yeah, sorry, I was going to say it, yeah, it's complex. It's yeah. complex, yeah. and then people are instantly like, oh, too afraid. Nope, you know, outside of the norm. Yeah. Because um, I, I think people have been using complexity to trick people for, for years. Yeah. But I think some level of complexity can be, if you understand what's happening here, you're not being taken advantage of, you know, you're just going to be partners of the business um, or partners of the profit share, then yeah, hopefully it'll it'll work well. But yeah, I'm sure everyone can tell we're very excited about it and we're very kind of confident based on how it's going so far. As long as we select the right people. And that's well, because we actually used the Ray Dalio personality test before mm. we, you know, got any level of connection with Tim business-wise. Because yeah. we wanted to see, you know, what how he was like. And it was a great it was a great test. Day. It really helped a lot. It is. Well, when you start to appreciate how big a role our personalities and our genetics and our psychologies play, mm. like, in our lives. Yeah. It's really important to understand each other and see if this can make us all happy. Like different things make different people happy. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Learning what someone, what kind of person someone is through that test has helped us to tailor certain elements of the job to that person. And we hope to keep doing that, Mm. you know, because people, it's all these uh, quinkero jobs and people aren't out of a mole. People are all different. Yeah. They want different things, so. But yeah, I think before you're like, this isn't um, socialism. <laughs> no, or, or to be like blunt, all it is is paying people as a percentage of the business. So they're basically instant shareholders of the small business. Mm. So it's basically the least socialist thing you can think of. Like socialism is everyone gets paid the same no matter what they do. Mm. This is everybody gets paid 
only based on what they do. So it's the exact What we achieve as a group. Yeah. Everyone gets an equal share of what the group achieves. And I think that fits with us ancestrally. Mm -hmm. Part of our genetic makeup. It fits. That's how the tribe runs. Yeah. That's ultimately what's going to make our biologies happy. Yeah. That's going to feel natural when we're working, even though we're doing some weird, you know, construction process that the Hadza have never heard of. The Hadza would be good waterproofers though, I reckon. Brilliant. Oh, it's it's amazing to see people that are that, that are fulfilled and happy, but that's where having a purpose. And that's it's where... so sad though. There's only like a thousand left of them in the world. Is there? Yeah. I don't know. And people look at that as a backwards way of being. That is the only link we have to oh. our heritage of human, like who we were as humans. Yeah. For yeah. thousands and thousands of years, and how we are now has only been the past couple of hundred years, really. The society, exactly. the way it is now, is exactly. so different from what makes us biologically happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're trying to find a structure that fits in our society, but fulfills our biology. Yeah. And that's that was a huge realisation about three months ago, eh? Mm. We realised because we, we were vegan for, for four years. Yeah, four five, to five years. Five years? Yeah. And, um, yeah, basically, Cass, you've had, like, always trouble with your iron now. Um, yeah, ever, it's ever really since, bad. Ever since. Um, and the only thing that, because there's different kinds of iron, there's plant iron, um, non-heme, and there's... Heme iron. Heme iron, which yeah. is from animals. And the heme iron is absorbed much easier. Um, and obviously, women need to eat a lot more iron than men. So... Watching Cass over the last four or five years, your iron levels like diminished despite you doing everything you can on a plant-based diet to have iron supplements and all kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, and I mean, I did. I like spirulina and take your vitamin C at the same time as your iron. Healthy. Don't have calcium at the same time. Your leafy greens, like do whatever you want. Okay, I, yeah. I iron supplements every day. Like they mess with your stomach. Like it, it wasn't easy. And like. Even as a vegan, I guess I used to hear people say, oh, yeah, I've tried, but I just can't be healthy on a vegan diet. And I used to think, yeah, whatever. Just it's an algorithm. You can put your food down in a a schedule and get all your nutrients that you need. But our biologies aren't that simple. No. For some reason, it didn't work for me no matter how hard I tried. Exactly. Which is disappointing. Very disappointing. But... Through us looking at diet and saying, well, okay, genetically, like, how have we eaten for the majority of the time that we were genetically similar? Not like 500 years or 1,000 mm. years, but mm-hmm. 100,000 years. Because how long have we been in societies for, you know, in large groups, eating lots of grain, all that kind of thing? Since the agricultural revolution. So the- six, six or 8,000 years ago. Yeah. Not a whole amount right. of time in the right. long history. And most, I think, um, anthropologists, I guess, that that would be their profession. Most anthropologists I've heard have said 300,000 years ago to up to about 8,000 years ago, we were hunter-gatherers. And we know that genetically, we're all pretty similar to a group of about 10,000 people. So they reckon that the human population actually almost went extinct and got down to probably around a couple of thousand people. No less than that because you need to have some kind of genetic diversity still, but a couple of thousand people. So we're all, we've all evolved over the last couple of hundred thousand years to live a certain way mm. and to resonate with certain patterns of behavior and eating. 
we've we've survived with a certain pattern of eating, a, eating a certain type of food. Yeah. And yeah, it hasn't evolved that much from that point to the last eight thousand years. Like no, it's eight thousand years wouldn't make that much difference. You know, there's apparently like there's been some like I, I go really good with dairy, and you go pretty good too. Um, some people don't because that's like a recent, you know, a recently evolved thing. But because of my European ancestry, that's something that kind of goes okay with me. Yeah. Um, and but, we've all yeah. had like um, genetic changes to allow to eat more carbs or less carbs. Like yeah. some people are in different sides of that. Certain exactly. genes yeah. have evolved. Yeah. But really, yeah, if you want to think about the diet that will work best for basically everybody, yeah, it's how we've eaten as as a species as a species for yeah. hundreds of thousands of years and and that's there's not much debate about that from what i can tell and because because of our reason for being vegan was all around you know like the animal cruelty and the fact that you don't have to eat meat to survive which you don't like you don't have to and some people will be fine especially men because they don't need much iron and you can get b12 supplementation and all this kind of stuff and obviously it would be much better if factory farming didn't exist yeah but when you're trying to feel at your best all the time then um, it was basically a no-brainer. But that's where it started. And looking at who are you really as a species and then trying to yeah, design and look at how, what makes people happier mm. um, and then looking at their systems, yeah. those tribal systems, and now we're applying it to, to this. Yeah. So it's been a very, very interesting couple of months. Um, like really not much to do as far as investing. Um no, we don't feel like we've missed out on anything, really. Um, we we dodged the Alibaba train, but yeah. <laughs> we're still. It's it's looking attractive now to look at. <laughs> that's that's when you feel the best in investment. When you look at something, you're too lazy to look into it properly, and then you look into it like three months later, and it's down forty percent. You're like, ha, huh, I'm a genius. <laughs> I know. Yeah, right. No, no, I think I think Alibaba's gonna be fine. I really do. Like, I was even talking about yesterday. That maybe like some kind of a, like a fun, like a reasonably priced long term option on it would be really good. Yeah, because they there is like I don't know. Is it very likely the government would just take fifty percent of profits indefinitely? Like why wouldn't they do that? They, they can, can do anything they, they can, want. They can do that. That's you know, the problem. But Munger's cool with them, Munger's, so I should be. Munger loves it. Munger, Munger's a huge Chinese fan. See, I I like the idea more of owning the stock. Than an option. I know you do. Options are just so short-sighted to me. And they, and they expire to nothing. Yeah, we got a spy put on at the moment. Three fifty-five strike price. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it runs out in December, so it's like. Yeah. I don't know. Something could happen. Roll it over, you know. The market's up like what twenty-five percent. It's at its highest historical point ever. It's incredible. So. That was actually another question. Um, well, less of a quick question, an image um, Nikon sent through. What? what? Um, the fact that... Oh, the commodities to yeah, S&P. The fact yeah. that when you look at the commodity commodity index as a, as a you know relationship to the S&P 500, the valuation, the, they've never been further apart, basically. Yeah. Um, and that perhaps indicates something that commodities are undervalued. Um, I, I thought it probably meant that the index was just made up of oil <laughs> and because oil is now looking like it's like a thing of the past within 20 or 30 years. Well, it showed a correlation to the, was it the 08 bust or the GFC? That was at the point where it's kind of gone past there now. Yeah, it peaked at the financial crisis and then crashed. 
Um, peaked at the Gulf War. I don't know. What do you think that means? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it means anything. I know, I know there's been a good, there's been like pretty good growth in a couple of commodities, um, uranium and lumber and a few other things. But yeah, no, I just we're just I don't really have any opinion about those things. Unfortunately, I haven't looked into them enough. So. The uranium, I think we got to a point where it's like, okay, I want to know how many new plants are gonna are in construction and are gonna open up. Yeah. And like, what's the actual capacity to service the market? Because that would reflect the price of uranium as more product comes to market. And it's like, I couldn't find that information, so I gave up. Exactly. You just We just didn't get a good feeling of comfort around it. So we I didn't, don't know. We didn't do anything. You, you miss a million things a year. I mean, there's a million great investments every year you miss out on. Yeah. And the key is the ones that you're in. It's got to sure excite go you. Okay. It's got to excite you. Otherwise, you're not going to stay up to date with it. And you're not going to notice when you should buy more or pull out (laughs) exactly you've got to be you know super interested in it but yeah congratulations to everyone who's made money on bitcoin congratulations to everyone who's made money on uranium oh bitcoin should we revisit my conspiracy which is half what were we well half happened i guess in a way yeah in episode i forget which one it was but it was the bitcoin one your theory was? Yeah. My theory was that China was mining Bitcoin and selling it to Americans to stockpile US dollar, convert US dollar into gold, and then back their digital yuan to gold, and then ban cryptocurrencies altogether. So yeah. the, the price of Bitcoin would plummet, and all crypto would plummet. Their digital yuan would be like the superior crypto yeah. coin, because Look it's even back it to is. a fundamental. Yeah. yeah. And um, the US would be a little bit fucked over because most of the holders of Bitcoin would be in America. Exactly. And China has just banned cryptocurrency. Yeah. So, again, who knows? But China is going through this thing at the moment where they're just very unpredictable. They're being very, like, domineering with their regulation. Um, And it's just not as simple as looking at, like, what's best for Alibaba or what's best for Pinduoduo or, like, that's... That's not a game that I can play. Like I don't think you know. Like we we've had some luck with some political stuff. Like we uh, we haven't talked about this before, but we actually bought through Betfair. We bought. Um, how do you say that? What? We betted money that Mike Pence was going to be the next <laughs> next president of America, based based solely on the fact that Trump was running around no mask, shaking hands, hey, doing hey, rallies. Hey. With, Okay, so we we bet through Betfair. Yep. Mike Pence was going to be the next president elect. Yes, at odds of like five hundred to one. Five hundred to one, and that was before Trump got the virus. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we were holding that for like a couple of months, and then Trump gets the virus, <laughs> and we're like, he's gone to hospital. He's been he's airlifted to, hosp- to hospital. Oh, his blood oxygen's like, dropped. <laughs> Pence is like. <laughs> prepare pens for a, a possible you know yeah, presidential yeah. campaign yeah yeah and um the odds shrank to eight to one eight to one and we didn't sell to, one to eight to one we didn't sell and then trump got better trump got better and then we lost whatever so yeah no, but that was an interesting call wasn't it yeah yeah interesting close call um but yeah as far as like political stuff and especially as it comes to communism you know i feel like if you've read like 50 books about it and you've spent a few years in china you probably should have a go at it, but you know. Yeah, that's so far outside our circle. It is unfortunately. Circle of reality. <laughs> unfortunately. And and because the Alibaba 
investment case makes so much sense. If it was an like, American company. You know, I've, I've like, investing with Frank has done like some great, great work on that. Like, you know, every time I go on Twitter, I see those great posts about Barber and, you know, how many different businesses they cover that Amazon and a whole bunch of other businesses are now, you know, I'm sure like if China grows to anything the size of America over the next 40 years, you know, Alibaba could easily be a 50x based on how many yeah. businesses they own that are now of a huge, you know, profitability in America. But that has within it the assumption that China allows them to become that profitable as America has. And I don't know the answer to that question. No, yeah. We don't. No. Well, and we don't know how to have your finger on the pulse to kind of see what's coming ahead. Exactly. exactly. No idea. We've also decided to um, transfer our Pershing Tontine over to the Universal Music. Yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> it's like, we were happy with that investment. Good on you, Ackman. We're just going to go ahead and do it ourselves. <laughs> I know, I know. We've, we, we, I think we've missed out on a little bit of like maybe 20% because it kicked on the open when it went public. Yeah. So it, it's come down a little bit, but we've missed a little bit. But to be honest... Those assets, those musical assets oh. of, the, of the Beatles and all those great bands, yeah, um, and the fact that they have like ninety percent market share in the big global stars, and they continue to get them, um, and the fact that the CEO seems like a really again a CEO really is great, awesome. great CEO, yeah. um, the musos love him, um, yeah. And don't they have like a partial share in Tencent? I think Tencent or Spotify. Tencent, yeah, they have a. Um, partial shareholding of Spotify so they're, so, they're yeah. kind of connected together yeah. and the whole investment case of Universal basically comes down to the fact that the streaming throughout the world is going to massively increase yeah I'm not sure anyone would debate that and the assets that the streaming relies on to be attractive is owned by Universal Music yeah um, and it's actually owned at zero cost so like the cost for Universal Music to allow Spotify or allow, you know, Amazon Music or allow Apple Music because they all need to pay Universal. Mm. So the cost for them to do that, to play one of their songs is zero. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess you risk people in the future are like, well, if artists just go straight through Spotify, you know, go around the middleman of Universal. Sure. Well, sure. That's a whole argument for what Universal actually does. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot. But I, I would ask any, anybody who has that point is how many of you are experts in exactly what Universal Music does for the artist? Yeah. And how complex it is to maintain status and to maintain your position as a Justin Bieber or as a this or as a that timing of releases, oh. social media posting, you know, events. And it's location. almost down to like if you are the artist, mm-hmm. your strength is not in creating a business to promote yourself. No. Your strength is you're a great artist. You love to sing. You're great at whatever instrument you play. You're creative, yeah. You can't combine the two of those. No. You know, if, um, if Kanye West can't, <laughs> Jay Z is probably the closest that's yeah. gotten. And he's even got his private label. Under Universal, have, doesn't they he? They have a partnership with Universal, yeah. So they, all these things tell you something about the management. So he still yeah. uses them as a funnel. Yeah. So. yeah. And all of their back-end... Um, what do you call that? What are they... The current ownership of the songs and the albums. What do they call that again? Backlog. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know the, the word you're thinking of and I just can't It's find not it. even that important to get right, but now my mind's like, I need to know what that word is. All their assets. Jesus. Three, two, one. one. Back catalogue. Back catalogue, yes. <laughs> I just missed the catter. Yeah. Backlog. Yeah, so that's a that's, and that yeah. is owned. And if you ever want to play the Beatles or whatever, Universal or Queen, Universal Music get a clip. Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber. Apparently, they're f- popular artists. I don't even know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's a that's a great business that we looked into before, and we feel really comfortable with. Um, and yeah, it's less about looking um, because we've spent so much time trying to find businesses that under so many different scenarios they would still be successful mm. so there's less there's less requirement I feel to actually be on top of them every week every month because what's going to happen what's the worst that can happen people stop listening to music yeah you know yeah not like our EOS position which we're kind of like always always looking out for any news articles yeah. or yeah. announcements we're getting a little bit I mean, I'm less confident. I'm less confident too. Yeah, yeah. Should we, should we discuss, like, in case people haven't heard about the business, should we talk about the business, like, what yeah, it is? Yeah, well, that was our main feature on, like, two episodes ago. EOS, yeah. which we hold still, what, 14% stake um, in? I think it might be down towards 11, 11 now because it's come back a bit. Yeah. But, um, so, EOS, the best way to explain that business um, is basically through what they're good at. So they're really good at um, laser targeting. They had a really successful product that the US government got them to put on all their Humvees, um, which is basically like a remote weapon system. So it could be fired from inside the Humvee Mm. um, and using their lasers, they could target the enemy like very far away um, at high accuracy. And, you know, that was a very successful product for EOS. But that's kind of like winding down as part of their business and they have all these new areas of their businesses which they've been talking about. Well, Um, yeah, I guess anyone can go back and listen to my EOS episode to get like a real in-depth summary of the company. But updates from that episode, so far, some more money's come through. Yep. Fred Bart, the dodgy chairman. The guy who um, was chairman of this company called Audio Pixels, which has been going for like years and years and years <laughs> and has a market cap of like 600 million and has never had any revenue. Like yeah. it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my it's life. A weird, it's, it's a very, It's very weird. Yeah. And, and he was the chairman of that company and also the chairman of EOS and he stepped down about two yeah. months ago. So he still owns stock in the company, but he's no longer part of the active functioning of the company exactly. so that is great and the stock has high short interest because basically they think that they're not going to have any success selling new products mm. um the company doesn't have any debt um, although i think it's taking a little bit of debt now to fund space link which is a huge yeah which is annoying because space link they've previously said they're not going to have to take on any debt to mm-hmm. build they're only going to use a bit of their human capital you know man hours yep and now they've taken a little bit of debt for that so you know it's like stick to your word they're, know, they're kind of fudging their word a little bit already so yeah we feel that if the full 100 mil was it revenue yeah yep, 100 mil of, of, ca- of cash product. flow cash flow yeah because the, the, the product sitting in a foreign country that's ready for delivery yeah um, and the story is that COVID has slowed down 
governments from doing some of these things and the processes of the testing and all these kind of things. Yeah, and governments are taking longer for decisions yeah. on contracts and everything's slower. You sure, know, you've so got to kind of take their word for it. But if yeah. by they always said the money would be through by the end of this next quarter, so yeah. the end of this year. And yeah. if it's not in by December, then I don't know, we're probably going to cut our position. Probably. But I'd imagine we'd be down 40% at that point because at least, because everyone knows that's a huge thing they've committed to happening. Mm. Um, But if it happens, then we'll be up 40% and then you could easily get a cascade of like, you know, contracts coming through and their products, you know, the products seem to exist and they seem to be fine. They seem (laughs) to work good. They're the main supplier to the Australian Defence Force. Like, how can they be dodgy? Dodgy, exactly. Exactly right. And, you know, with their one chairman who was associated with some some sketchiness having left the company mm. um, and the rest of the board seems like very reputable. Um, you know, I don't think there's any reason for us to be panicking just yet, but that's the only stock we're watching closely, eh? Like, that's it. From, yeah, that's the only one that I'm like, we might need to change. There's a question mark, question mark over. So you know, as we said in our original podcast on the company, like we're very excited about it. Do your own research. Yeah. You know, um, and now would be a good time to reassess for people, like we are all the time, and to see, make sure you're still comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, Never go off what we say. <laughs> Do your own. Yeah. Because it's like we, that's something we love about each other and mm-hmm. ourselves as a team is that we change so quickly based on new evidence. Constantly. And I still stand by buying EOS when we did. For sure. Which is why we still hold it. Yeah. At the time. But, um, yeah, as time goes on, you've got to reassess and you can't stick to what you've previously said out of some some want to look good or exactly. prove yourself right or Exactly. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty stupid way to behave. Um, but you know, I think John Hampton thinks that we're idiots. Yeah, I think about, so. About EOS, which is fine. You know? I've heard some things John Hampton said, I think he's an idiot. <laughs> Don't say that. He's gonna Twitter blast you. I'm sure he think. I'm sure he thinks he's an idiot on some things. <laughs> he, that, that's all. No, I think John Hampton, if you met him in person, <laughs> would be like one of those, you know, really intelligent type professors who like has yeah. smart, witty comments that like cut you down. But if you get one back at him, he'll he'll give you some respect. Back. <laughs> I think you so know, he's too. that kind of a guy. Yeah, yeah. I think anyway. No, I love. Honestly, I I really like John Hampton. He's a Still, straight shooter. I like straight, straight shooter. And like, yeah, he's asked us some pretty hard questions um, privately about about EOS, which I'm comfortable with, which I enjoyed. I thought it was good. Like the hard questions are good. I hope he got his free samples by now as well. Yeah, yeah. That's been a few months. <laughs> free samples of what, love? Yeah. Anyway. Only me, you and John Hampton know. <laughs> oh, boy. But yeah, I think our plan for the next three months is just to keep working on the business. Um, we like, oh, I got pulled back by that Evergrande thing. So I, you know, I saw those, I saw the market move and I saw the articles about that Chinese property developer. And then we spent a little bit of time mm-hmm. making sure there wasn't like a GFC about to erupt. Um, oh, you've checked that and it's all good? <laughs> Have you let someone Look, know? There's no GFC coming, I can guys, say don't worry. <laughs> with certainty that there's no GFC coming. Anyway, no, I have no idea. But it didn't, it didn't seem like anything... Didn't seem like it. I don't know. Is there going to be a war between between Taiwan and China? I don't know. We were trying to figure that out a few months ago. Should revisit. Now we're trying to figure out how to beat another waterproofing company instead. 
So yeah, I we've think. really escalated. But uh, have we forgotten to answer any questions? Well, I well, said well, my favourite investor. You haven't said yours. Well, my favourite investor at the moment is all I can say is um is definitely Nick Sleep, and I haven't even read much of his articles, but I've read a lot of articles about him, and I've listened to that Richard Wiser Happier book. Isn't the whole beauty of Nick Sleep is that you hardly know anything about him because he hasn't spoken or written much to anybody? Yeah, that's probably why I like him. Yeah, I like. <laughs> I think I like that avenue as well. Yeah, yeah. We won't be doing a podcast for another year now. Just to yeah. keep, just keep the mystique. Just, you know, learning from Nick's sleep. But um, no, I've, I've been reading, you know, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance for like about six months. I just read like a couple of pages every few days and just think about it. Um, it's one of the most peculiar books I think I've ever read. The story is a guy is traveling through America with a group of his friends uh, and his son on a motorbike. And he's a former philosophy professor. And he, you can, you learn pretty quickly that he's had some struggles with mental illness. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good light ring then. (laughs) And he has, and he has this basically character in the book called Phaedrus, which is, which I interpret to be his darker side of his personality and the darker side of, I guess, like all of our personalities. Yeah. Um, and the negative side of seeing things. But what the book is about, the book is about how to approach each situation in life to create the highest quality result, result. result and how to have the most highest quality life mm. um, by approaching things differently. You know, one of the examples from the book is that you're trying to fix the, the motorbike and you haven't really got the right screw for it. Do you go back to the owner's manual? Do you order the exact right screw from mm. the the factory, mm-hmm. or do you go over to your can of Coke and do you make a make a shard out and a sheath for the screw so that it fits in there and it works perfectly? Mm. You know, like this is someone trying to operate in the real world. You know, do you make the quick fix or do you do the by the book way or mm. do you think independently about it? Yeah. You know, he talks a lot about ego. Talks a lot about how. If you're trying to fix a motorbike, your ego is going to come in for rough treatment because you're just going to face two. You're like you're not going to be correct all the time, you know. And to try and like understand how that applies to different situations in life. So the the, the book is he's he's on this motorbike journey. He's got his son with him. He's discussing these philosophical problems and these like psychological lessons as he's traveling with his son, um, and as he's having like hallucinations and stuff. Um, so the fact that Nick Sleep, <laughs> you know, said that book is one of the best books, you know, that he has ever read, um, I can really see why because it's a, it's a very deep book. Yeah. You know? Like it, it does. It shows a depth of character to appreciate that, to yeah. read those words and get the deeper meaning from them. Because you can't... These are, This is a difficult thing sometimes with books mm. is that you can read them and pull this amazing meaning from them mm-hmm. and you can recommend it to someone else. But unless that person is at a level of self-awareness and development themselves, yeah, they can't appreciate it for what the book is yet. No. No. And the first time I, I tried to read the book, I didn't really understand any of yeah. this because I hadn't been trying to like really get things done in the real world like I am now. Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, me and you are constantly like, okay, how can we get this done the fastest, you know, in the best quality way without pissing anybody off? 
Like and being happy thinking. within ourselves. And being happy, exactly. There's no point doing anything if it makes you unhappier. Exactly. Um, permanently. <laughs> exactly like, right. We're yeah. happy to go through a little bit of unhappiness temporarily sure. to achieve something that's going to get us to a higher level of happiness sustainably. Exactly. But unless that's the end result, just stop and do something else. Exactly. Exactly. Cover your bases, cover your minimum. Um, but yeah, there's, the book is full. I, you know, like we could do 20 podcasts about it. I can't wait for you to finish it so I can read it. Yeah. Yeah. But we are on like three pages a week at this point, (laughs) but it's good. It's good. That's how you meant to read books. And I've not appreciated that before. Yeah. There's no point reading a book for the KPI of how many pages you want to get through in the day. Exactly. It's like read what is going to actually melt into your brain at that point in time and what's going to help you to operate yeah hopefully better in the world and reflect upon upon yourself how Mm. you're choosing to do things and yeah but do you think that's maybe where we've changed the most recently is that it's not really in the quantity we're trying to get done now it's in the quality Mm -hmm. we've really slowed down yeah and reassess what we're doing for the longer picture try and do things once and try mm. and do them properly, you know, and I've gotten better at that, you know, like my, another way we can talk about how like that book has affected how I do things personally is like, I always used to try and work in such a way that never like stressed me out by working too hard. Yeah. Like I would never work like at an efficient, super efficient pace. Cause I would get miserable, but I've acknowledged that like actually sometimes you really just need to get things done and just work really efficiently and just be very pragmatic and just get into it. Um, so that's where changing my approach has helped to give the highest quality result. And I've still been able to maintain happiness, but that re- has required work and me getting used to a different way of and working. I think you're even happier now because you've kind of given yourself a bit more confidence that you can tolerate a little bit more stress, yeah, a little bit more pressure, yeah, for sure, a little bit more pushing of yourself and you can get through it and you're fine. Yeah. And that's growing yourself. That's growing to an, a new level. And I've done it myself, I think in the opposite way, because my approach has always been, you put blinders on, you tunnel down and you get the job done. No matter what. Yeah. You just... Harden up and do it. And sometimes, not sometimes, definitely all the time, (laughs) that has ended in the job getting done really, really quickly, really efficiently. But I am like frazzled with stress and I'm not happy and I'm in my work zone again. And it takes me hours to get out of that. And when I get out of it, I look back at what result I've had And it's kind of like, "Mm, if I stopped halfway through and just reassessed, I would have done that differently and it would have ended up being better. Yeah. So now I've kind of taken on a bit more self-control and like slowing myself down. It's not about peak efficiency. It's not about speed. Mm -hmm. It's about doing things properly. It's about the balance of all of the things that contribute together to create the highest quality results yeah it's and about quali- the result and but quality result defined broadly not just defined as like just the thing you were doing no. it's like no how are you before how are you after how are you doing it how's the thing resulted 
And I think that's what Nick Sleep worked out about investing. That the highest quality way was to totally ignore volatility, mm-hmm. have three stocks that you know are going to be fine, and then just go away and just do what you want. and Go to sleep. Go to sleep if you want. <laughs> Let me sleep. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. We always um, joke about that. That's, we do. We love it. That was funny. That was a funny line from that podcast we did. Um, but yeah, overall, just enjoying life, enjoying the business. Um and, you know, we might be on Twitter, we might not. Who knows? Yeah, I just like to hear people say what they actually want to say. Because, like, I've gone to do so many tweets now and I just don't tweet because I'm like, no, nah, what's the motive behind that? I'm just trying to show that I've learned something interesting and, mm-hmm. oh, isn't she smart? It's like, I'm, I'm not interested in that. No. It's like, I want to read unique new thoughts yeah. that people are having. Yeah, what their, yeah. True, what their true perspective is. Yeah, because there's definitely a thing that happens with Twitter where there's like people are liking things and retweeting things to get a certain level of respect or result. But if everyone just liked what they actually like, yeah, you know, and everyone just retweeted what they actually like, it would probably be a much different Twitter feed. Probably. Like I was just about to share a story a news article I saw this morning which caught my eye and I thought it was fascinating and I couldn't share it because um, people would probably get the wrong uh, impression of me if I did. But it was of this pair of gorillas in a zoo um, just doing oral in front of everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought, fucking hell, like, doesn't that just prove animals have emotions yeah animals are so much like us and we are so much like animals yeah to the point of like there is no evolutionarily adequate explanation for why a male gorilla would be eating out a female gorilla yeah like there is no way that's going to help his genes carry on there's no there's no there's no evolutionary benefit unless they're pair bonding they're pair bonding. They're enjoying it. It's like a connection. It's yeah. like the happiness that it's giving them. That is yeah. like the purity of what's going on there. Exactly. Um, I just think that's fascinating. But yeah, you, like I can't share that story because then it's like... Because a bunch of fucking creeps on Twitter are going <laughs> to... Yeah, that's why. That's why. Yeah, that's but, why. But that's what I'm saying. Like, It's, yeah, it's always a challenge to work out how much to, to censor yourself and how... Like, there's a lot of people probably who want to say certain things or put certain opinions across that because they have jobs or because they are worried about the future, like, you know, how that could influence them or how that could change, you know, how, how people see them. But if you understand that if you're the kind of person like we are, who just like, we're just constantly changing all the time, every three to six months, mm. there's some massive change in some belief that we had because we keep understanding more about who we are as a species, like who we are as people, mm. um, what the world's really like. You know, so of course you're gonna keep trying to improve things. That's all it is. And I think you keep getting more and more comfortable with who you are as a person as well. Definitely, because you understand what you have control over and what you don't. There's some parts of yourself that you know, well, because of your upbringing or because of your genetic disposition. Yeah, it's like that's how you react to situations and you can only control the reaction once you're aware of it exactly but yeah getting to know yourself and then being comfortable with who you are and putting that out into the world 
It's not easy. And and keeping that consistency. It's not easy. But I think the only way to do it sustainably is to not have a filter within reason and to be honest, as honest as you can, yeah. about your successes and your failures. Um, and if people find what you're saying interesting, they do. If they don't, they don't. And that's kind of the approach that we've got now. Yeah. Which is why we haven't done a podcast in three months. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like the way that... Oh, who was that? Guy Ritchie on Rogan. Oh, yeah. Great, great podcast. That the one. way that he dissected who we are as people, basically, into, was it three parts? So you've got your ego, right? Which is all confidence. Mm-hmm. You muster yourself up when you, you have to do something that yep. challenges you and the ego comes out. Yep. If you let it, try not to. Yep. And then you've got the persona which is like your public appearance to people. Who you, pre- your, who you present to the world, who you are. You yeah, know. your political correctness and yeah. making sure you don't say the wrong things and the image. It's your image, that what, what you want people to think you are. Yeah. And then you've actually got you. Yeah. Which is like you take the ego away, you take the persona away, and that's who you are as a person. And you yeah. should just really try and be that the whole time. Sure. But it's very hard when you're within your own brain to be aware of who you are at at what point in time. That's the difficult part. Exactly. You know, how are you acting in certain scenarios that are actually not you, but you're acting that way because you're trying to protect your ego or you're trying to portray a persona that, you know, causes certain things you think you want, you know, that's kind Mm. of thing. So, Mm. um, but that sounds like a hell of a lot of work. And that's why a lot of people are pretty, I think you're exhausted, you know, well, I think the saddest thing is that a lot of people don't actually get to ever meet themselves. They only ever know their persona because mm. they have to put that on every day at work. Yeah. Right? They put that on in front of their family. Some people put that persona on with their partner. So at yeah. what point do you ever have the time to think, who am I? Like, And that kind of links to that. Have you ever heard that saying, you know, don't fool yourself and you're the easiest person to fool? Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's that's where that how that works is because if you're constantly trying to pretend to be a person, you know, an infallible investor, like an all knowing person, a confident person, you know, a vulnerable person, like you know, we're all di- these different people at different times. Mm. Um, so that's yeah, it's a lot less work if you can get to the point where you're okay with yourself, and if people don't agree with you, that's fine. But that's we're still working on that. Yeah, that's hopefully. A lot of people are. Yeah. I think a lot of that is just perpetuated by the jobs people are in, Mm -hmm. within the companies that those jobs are in. Yeah, for sure. Within the society that all of that takes place in. Yeah. It's like all these pressures, you have to be a certain way. Yeah. To step outside of that takes a lot of work and a lot of self-reflection, but it's so worth it because then you figure out a way where you can really be happy with yourself Hmm. and it takes no effort to be yourself, but it's still an effective way to be within a society, within a company, within a family, within everything. But you have to, you have to change your environment to suit who you really are. And that's where like understanding, and that's a hard part about jobs is jobs start at 8.30 and they finish at five or they start at seven and you go 3.30 and there's certain ways people want you to do things. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that, that again is not at all like 
how most of our evolutionary history was. You know, all that matter was the result. If you thought of a new way to catch that buffalo or whatever, mm, or find yeah. or find that new, better kind of tree root, like it didn't matter how you did it. You know, your voice was heard. Your voice was heard, and it was tested at least, tested for its effectiveness. Yeah, and you could have some control, and also the little part that you were playing in your little group. You saw the end result, yeah. even though you only had you were specialized in one area. You all worked together, put your pieces together, and that was the pie at the end. You all had a piece in. Exactly. Whereas sometimes with businesses, you've got people doing jobs. They don't even know where that leads to at the end of the line. They have no connection with the start or the finish. Yeah. And how are we meant to find like fulfillment from that and as a person? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean that every company, like obviously if you're working for Apple or you're working for some company that clearly their product has global significance you know like tesla or whatever like you know clearly if they do a good job with their product it changes the world it does you know Mm. it makes a huge difference but every business is connecting with people and and, you know and if you can have positive interactions with a number of people at scale what a great thing what a great thing yeah and that's where it's sort of everything is balanced Everything is different approaches for different scenarios while still maintaining who you really are. Yeah. So some pretty easy topics covered in this podcast, I think we can say. Pretty uh, pretty straightforward, pretty easy to understand. Yeah. Pretty um, basic. Pretty all over the spectrum. <laughs> Definitely. Just like us. <laughs> Just like us. Yeah. No. Well, if you've enjoyed like our podcasts before and if you enjoyed this one, like... Thanks a lot for listening. Yeah. And um, yeah, just as always, tell us what you think. Private message, real message, whatever. Comment, whatever. It's fine. I'd love to hear what people want us to actually talk about. Like, what would they be interested in hearing more about? Yeah. Because like we could talk about anything. I'm investing related or outside of investing. I mean, that's kind of when investing is the core of your life, everything kind of reflects off of it. Yeah. Which is why we can delve into psychology so easily and like Yeah. Because learning about topics. learning about those things is definitely always or should be of interest to all investors because it's all related. Yeah. And um, to have a big conversation about it, um, where you can be vulnerable, it's kind of exciting because I think the investor life can be pretty um lonely. Pretty solitary. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of like individual guys just investing. And like females coming on, just investing by themselves. And when you do it as like a little team, like me and you have, it really makes it a lot easier, a lot more interesting. And ideas really start pumping. Definitely. Um, So if you can yeah, build a little network of people. People of different backgrounds too. Having those conversations. Speaking of which, we might be speaking to the big Brewster. At some point. <laughs> yeah, he said he's he said he's up for it, so we just gotta get the balls to I'm a little nervous to tee it up. Of course we are. Of course we're nervous. We we love Bill Brewster. He's he, he's the best. He'll outwit me. Outwit you. Yeah, he's so funny. Bill won't try to outwit you, Bobby. No, he won't. He'll just do it effortlessly. Uh, yeah. He's but that's right. where you've just gotta be yourself. Just be yourself. Exactly. That's the only card we've got. But yeah, question as far as like if anyone has any ideas for things that we should talk to bill about and things because i i believe like we're going to be interviewing him probably on buffeting on yeah. buffeting 
So we're going to be asking him questions. So if you have any ideas <laughs> for questions you'd like to ask... If you've gotten Bill this Brewster, far into our episode, that is... <laughs> Bill Brewster. Yeah, see, if we had any kind of, like, logical marketing <laughs> strategy, we would have opened this podcast and been like... It's like... It's like Testing Bill Brewster. Like, it would have just been like straight away. That should have been the first ticket off the but rank. Look, it may, it may not even happen, but he said he's up for it. So He's up for it. Know, we we'll, just got to... We'll tee it up soon. We're not too exhausted from trying to... We've got to grow the balls. got to grow the balls. And make the time. But um, that, that could be in the future too. But yeah. Like but said, it all comes down to like, what are we actually trying to achieve by this podcast? Which was never to have, you know, all in success. Chamath and his gang... Yeah. It's not that we're on a different um, objective, I think. I'm just interested to connect with people who think the same way Yeah, we think, which is like asking the question behind the question behind the question. <laughs> exactly. Finding the root of a problem. That's another point from Zen the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance is that, yeah, diagnosing the root of a problem is crucial. Mm. You know, and, and how do you how do you solve a problem when you don't know where to start? Mm. You know, and all things that how are discussed do you, in the book. How do you make things better? How do you improve people's lives? Yeah, just as like a natural byproduct of what you're doing anyway. Just exactly. do things better, yeah, and it will make it better for everybody. Exactly, exactly right. So we've only got one employee as of now. Yes. Um, and the plan the plan is within six months, three people. You think? Is that, is that achievable? Yeah, look, I think so. It's it's going to come down to finding the people. Like, yeah, this whole thing only works if we have like-minded people working with us. So, exactly. How right. many of them are tradies in southeast Brisbane? We'll find out, I guess. Exactly right. Yeah, but if you know anybody who's you know a very humble person, enjoys doing a good job, you know, is happy to do a task. The job itself is not that exciting, but you can listen to podcasts all day. Yeah. You know, you can... There's a lot of um, client... Interaction. Interaction. So with people, if, yeah. If you're a good tradie who enjoys the work or can enjoy manual work, I guess, but wants some other fulfillment out of life at then, a deeper level. Then there might be a might be a chance of opportunity. And we're probably going to call it, what, the Better Tribe Company or something like that. don't know, but that that tribe, tribal idea is, is definitely... Um, the core of it yeah yeah i think so we'll see where it goes all righty thanks for listening till uh three months time we'll speak <laughs> again <laughs>got this far thank you so much for listening we really hope you enjoyed the conversation now if you'd like to become my 22nd or my 43rd follower on twitter links are in the show notes below mitch anything else nothing to add 